Welcome to Sin City with Nick Meneses and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. everybody and welcome back to sin city thank you for joining us on our very special halloween well special with our guests matthew zaharaya and jonas williams hello guys how are you doing how are you guys how are you guys doing by the way i'm like like you know how you've been doing these these past few days everything good uh i've been pretty good not bad yeah i've been Good, trying to get my schoolwork back on track, so that's a uphill climb. Right, yeah. How's it going also too with music as well, Jonas, with your music and projects? Uh, now that I'm in the Toronto Film School, I haven't been focusing as much on that. It's a lot more work than I anticipated, so I've mainly just been focusing on getting uh, homework and stuff done with that. Ooh. And again, congratulations, man. I'm making it to Toronto Film School. Got this, man. And how about you, Matt? Like, it's almost Halloween, and how's, you know, going with your uh, horror movie club, by the way? Well, with that, I found we ran into some issues because of... Because last year what we did was we used to rent out a theater at the Nate campus and then we could show movies that we have the rights to but with this now um lockdown not really lockdown anymore but now with all these restrictions and me being in calgary where everyone else is up in who who knows where um we were, were planning on doing it on some like uh party services like teleplay which was formerly known as netflix party but um unfortunately we're still restricted by the licensing so we can only show movies that we have the rights to and that are on netflix so our selection is becoming more limited so we might have to um sort of rebrand it and instead of doing that because i know for the club i was inquiring it earlier last year uh they don't the rights there's no not any restrictions for rights to tv shows and I know Netflix has a good selection of mm-hmm. horror TV. So there's like Black Mirror, if it, you want more of a technology base. But there's also the Haunting of Hill House and the new Haunting of Liar Manor by Mike Flanagan, which are really good. I heard of that. Nice, man. Wow. And good luck, too, on your, your club as well. Wish you all the best. And also, it's almost Halloween, guys. Like, so how do you think, you know, people are going to be celebrating, you know, now with and having to wear masks, by the way, here in Calgary? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I don't have any plans so far, so probably just not doing anything, honestly, with everything closed down and all. Yeah. Yeah, like some places for something. Like I hear uh, Ontario, they 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 reopened, but they they're gonna have to be celebrating Halloween. Of course, there are precautions. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I know for um, Halloween, there's actually um, a Scream Fest mm. is still going on. I worked there last year as a actor in one of the haunted houses. Um, but what they're doing is they have all of their haunted houses outside and they're limiting numbers. Like, I know I was planning to go last night, but they were sold out before I could get a ticket. So it was, um, but they also have a whole, like, um, market. There's, like, carnival games, and I think limiting the numbers and having proper, you're required to wear a mask the whole time you're there. Just the whole precautions they have are trying to make a fun and safe Halloween for some. I was the DJ at Screamfest not last year but the year before. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. That was a pretty uh, fun experience. They have the fog machine that I get to control which is pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say sorry? Um what year was this when you were a DJ at the Screamfest? Um, that would have been 2 years ago so probably Halloween of 2018, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I pretty. I went to the screen with my, with my old buddy from high school, actually. Yeah, wow. Were DJ there? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. yeah, it was pretty. And I got like free admission to all the haunted houses, which was also pretty fun. There's one you can sign a waiver, and the actors can like touch you. I don't know if you went into that one. Yeah, those are the extreme, extreme yeah. houses. Um, I also know they have one uh, that's completely dark. So you walk through it, it's completely dark. There's like translucent tape on the floor to tell you which way to go. I remember. But that. everything's all just like feel and sounds. and oh, it, it's, the, fog, the fog sound or whatever. The... Yeah. Or... Yeah, so, yeah, but uh, when I worked there, I was in the zombie house, and um, for that, you had to do your own makeup, which is great when you have to take transit there, because here I am on the bus, completely zombie makeup. The first night, it was like, not the, my best one, because it was the first time trying something like that. Um uh, mother wanted me to take a picture with her two kids so and then on a later night on the last night I did it no one would sit by me there's like I'm in one seat and there's like four seats beside me that no one's gonna take and it's all congealed at the front but yeah so it's, it's a great experience if you're just looking for some I don't know some Halloween fun oh yeah sure man yeah and what's what was your guys's in all your years and Halloween? What, what would you say is the best costume you've ever worn? Let's start with you, Jonas. Uh, when I was, I can't remember what year. I think it was. Uh, I was in grade six or seven, and I made the costume from the Daft Punk music video, uh, Defunk, and it's like the dog wears a. Uh, the he a guy who wears like a dog helmet and has a broken leg and he holds like a boombox playing the song. I think that was my best costume because I got it pretty on point to the real thing. Nice man, nice. You gotta show me a picture one day, man. Yeah, definitely. Sure. And uh, how about you, Matt? For me, like looking back at it, my most of my costumes are aren't all that original. 
but like for the effort they put into it, I would say it was the zombie I was last year because that's the first time I used like liquid latex and actually tried tried something and it I really enjoyed that. So I'm trying to look more into it. Don't have anything planned this year because it's with everything going on, but I'll, I'll see if I can work out something. But uh, for one of my brothers, my older brother, um, for one year he went as Kit Fisto from Star Wars. So he had all like the green tentacles going back. He nice. did the whole ensemble and it was actually really cool, that one. Wow, that's amazing, man. Really good choices. Uh, I, For me, looking back, my, my best, I'd say, is the one where I dressed as the guy behind me, uh, Jason. When I was in junior high, like I wore the mask and you know the the suit, like the boiler suit, and I kind of went a bit too far because I I spent some time like not not speaking a single word, and if someone asked me a question, I remain as silent as possible. I think I succeeded a bit too much because my classmates were really really freaked out whenever they were near me. So yeah, I think it was my best one. Yeah. I tried to get one of uh, Michael Myers, but it was too expensive because it looked very much like in the, in the movie. So I settled for a little hockey mask and it was good. Yeah. Yeah. So also um, the topic, um, yeah, scary movies. <laughs> like I read, I heard from a documentary that we love horror movies, but horror movies don't love us. Can anyone attest to that? Like, what's your guys' like? What's the first scary movie you guys remember watching? Uh, let's start with you this time, Matt. Well, the first like, for me, I'm sort of in an interesting position because I didn't really watch a lot while I was younger because I was that kid who was like, uh, horror movie scary and just would not do that. But um, uh. For the first horror movie that I sat down and actually watched, that would be Alien by Ridley Scott. Because um, despite all that, I was a big sci-fi nerd. And it's like, this is a integral piece to the history of sci-fi. So I have to watch. And then when I watch it, I say, this was really fun. I'm going to expand more. Then I went on to the thing and then just brought in my horizons there and developed a love for horror. Nice, man. Yeah, um, I like Sorry, you go for um, yours. Yeah, but this is um, one of the actual first movie experiences that horror that horrified me was actually from a book, and it was all about special effects in movies. I was in like elementary, and there was one. No, wait, I'm getting this mixed up. Sorry, um, it's from the scene at game, where it was like a DVD interactive DVD game. And there was one scene from it, from The Mask, with, it's Jim Carrey, yeah, it's Jim Carrey, uh, where, like, the eyes pop out, and it's, it's supposed to be, like, caricature funny, but just that terrified me. But when I, I, I think it was, like, five or six back then, but it, yeah. Nice, man. Yeah, like, from what you told me in our conversations, you really are more into the subgenre of sci-fi horror, I'd say. Mm. And what about you, Jonas? What do you remember being the first scary movie you ever watched? 
Um, that would be a hard one for me, but I feel like it's probably Monster House. It's like this uh, animated horror movie I watched when I was really young, and I feel like that uh, scared me a lot as a child when I watched it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. I went in theaters with my parents as well. Like we, we thought it'd be a, a you know, just a, we knew it was Halloween movie, but you know, more for yeah. kids. But it was mostly not for kids. <laughs> Still did it anyway. It's, I think it was one of the only movie, animated movies to use full motion capture for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, with the, with that movie, I was one of the people who was like, "No, that's not too scary for me." So, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was they really did well with the motion capture without it hitting, you know, into the uncanny valley. So yeah. that's been a success for sure. Yeah. It's really stylized in that sense, where they don't look right, but they're not supposed to look right. Where, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, like. My first intro to scary movies was none other than Scream. Uh, I watched it first when I was 11 years old. Uh, it really, it also really introduced me to all because they kept mentioning all these really old school horror movies, and it also hooked me into the genre. It's basically my what hooked me into the horror genre and why it is my favorite in all types of genres of fiction for me. Like, did you guys uh, give it a watch? It by the way, Scream. I haven't gotten around to it. I'm sort of going the opposite way, where I'm building up the filmography of all, all the slashers to sort of the parody or not really parody but crit- critique of the genre and i've never seen it myself scream i think i've seen the fourth one but i'm not like fully watched it and sat down to watch the whole thing Ah, no, man. Like it's, I recommend that you do. It's it's so great. Like it's it's scary and it's funny at the exact same time, and it's like a, a deconstruction, like a satire of all the old school slashers of the '80s, and made by the late and talented Wes Craven, who also directed A Nightmare on Elm Street as well. It's a must. And also, what would you like? Like Jonas, you you have like from what I've read so far in your uh, your your scripts, I'd say you like the horror genre is like your like your biggest influence, isn't it? In in one yeah, horror like psychological thriller type was my biggest influence for the one that I showed so far. Nice. Can't wait to see about what's all about them. Yeah. <laughs> and what were some of your uh, some of your biggest influences, by the way? As uh, again, to remind me to be uh, a filmmaker, Jonas. To be a filmmaker, I think like basically the film studies class I took in high school and all the movies I watched just like opened up the medium to me. But ever since then, my dad was really into movies, so I've just. I'm like uh, constantly watching something like every night he's usually watching something so since I was young I've seen like a lot a lot of movies so I think that's probably what influenced me and gave me like the knowledge of the genre or of the art form Mm, I see well that's truly inspiring stuff Jonas and in terms of like there are different 
genres, well, in the genre itself, we got slasher, supernatural, exploitative. What would, what would you say is your, the one that you know, scares you the most, like your favorite of all those subgenres, Jonas? Um, definitely psychological thriller, the ones that like kind of get into your brain. Not really the straight up jump scares and uh, kind of like slasher ones, more the ones that actually like get into your mind and kind of you think about it after you've seen it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, Time of the Lambs is a good example of this. Yeah, 100%. Like, it blurs the line if it's some it's considered either a horror or a crime thriller but i'd say it delves more into the psychological aspect and again no jump scares no old school tactics really well done film as well yeah. well how about you matt like what would you say is the subgenre in the horror, in horror that really sells you the most right. for horror in general there's a big difference for the, um horror in general and horror movies because, for example, one of my favorite is cosmic horror or Lovecraftian horror. But with that, it's very hard to portray that in movies most of the time. There's been some attempts at it and some good successes, but it's very difficult to get it right. So, yeah. But there's other mediums like um, books short stories and even video games like bloodborne that do an excellent job of having you experience it compared to just viewing a movie definitely wow yeah yeah those are really excellent choices guys for me personally speaking i found myself more drawn to the slasher genre because i feel like that's probably the most realistic aspect of horror like the fact that we have human like human serial killers mass and terrorized suburban neighborhoods like that actually feels like it could really happen it's more plausible for it to actually occur like the Halloween genre, the Halloween Halloween franchise was the one that really, really sold me into the into the whole slasher genre. Now there's like Friday the Thirteenth, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, actually, Texas Chainsaw was before Halloween. Exactly. Was it? Yeah. It was, so, yeah. Yeah, but the sort of more grounded films. Absolutely, yeah. Like, personally, the, the 70s, I'd say, would be, I know Psycho came before that, but per, I think 70s was the birth of horror, in my opinion, because that's what popularized the genre. We had so many great flicks that decade. Suspiria, The Exorcist, Omen, Halloween, yeah. Texas Chainsaw, Alien. Yeah. But that was also the era of the video nasties, so... With that, so back, the video nasties, for those who aren't familiar, was a movement in the UK, and it sort of had the same in here, where people thought horror was evil. They thought it was corrupting everyone. So videos like, so a lot of videos like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I know Cannibal Holocaust, which is very much so, are just violent for the sake of violence, grotesque, terrible there's nothing you can gain from them it's all this exploitation thing is just that it's exploitive it's there's nothing to it but with that um there's all this stigma with it with the horror genre which i feel 
um, brings it more into which made it more popular. Any the idea of any news is good news is prevalent there where people are like oh this movie's so bad it's like banned in the uk we gotta watch it or um all this idea that we shouldn't this forbidden knowledge idea how we shouldn't be watching this we shouldn't be seeing this but we are and makes it increases the enjoyable factor of viewing it the general experience of horror at the time the, the exploitative genre is what you call it, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And that was mo- that was primarily in the um, 70s uh, with that uh, Wes Craven's like um, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, just all of these films that are uh, prey upon the media, like the advertising for Last House on the Left is to avoid fainting, keep repeating, it, This is, it, it's just a movie, it is just a movie. And the idea that a film can horrify you so is um, it's so bad, it can be such a bad influence that it gets people to watch it. And that's sort of the how the exploitation, exploitative genre worked, how people want to see sex, they want to see violence, but society doesn't want to show it to them, so horror is going to give it to them. Wow. Yeah, that's, I never saw it that way. Wow. Thanks for that, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Like, sometimes... I, we, it's people just like it, I think. They just like to be scared, like, and I think it's not neither a good or a bad thing. Like, sometimes we need to experience fear sometimes in our life. That's why, that's what, one of the reasons why I basically, the horror genre is my favorite, because it, it's the genre, I think, where you can use your imagination the most, like, push yourself to the limits of what, what hasn't been tested, what hasn't been found just yet. What what's and what's your uh, guys' take on the horrors of our the more, in more recent years like the two thousand tens? What do you think, Jonas? I think um, very recently, like probably twenty seventeen and up, we've had like a lot of creative new ways of doing horror, like Midsummer is an example. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or like Hereditary, as we were talking about in the. A24 episode. Both of those are kind of like a new way of doing it, in my opinion. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like many people, some, many people actually say that they don't make good horror movies anymore, but these are examples that it's the horror genre isn't dead just yet. Like, like they're now getting more recognition at the at the at the academy awards like get out for example mm-hmm. like they're not just they're not just about scaring people but also introducing very complex themes such as such as race for example that's yeah uh, i agree with you jonas how we are getting some good ones but if you look at it on the big with a bigger scope of the big studios they 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 are the ones that are just they are the ones making the bad horror movies they're the ones who are making like um insidious making all of these blumhouse is responsible for some of them but you can forgive them for that because they actually give money to uh for to make projects like 
but for like um just all the sequels and all of these things coming out recently like especially in the 2000s it was all like teen slashers it was all the same copy paste there's some creativity with like i don't know was Final Destination then, or was that a bit 90s? But, um, it's getting better. Like, um, because uh, of Blumhouse and because of A24 giving money to these creative directors who have ideas that they want to express. So, yeah. I know, um, in regards to that, there's uh, The Empty Man, which is in theaters now, which I haven't seen yet, but it is the first horror movie produced by Fox after the Disney merger. So, um, I'm, I'm going to check it out. It's based on a comic series by Boom Publishing. So sort of the psychological crime horror thing. So, yeah. I think I'll check that out for sure. We'll give it a look. Sure. Yeah. Same here. Like, yeah, you guys are right. Like, before we the 2010s, we all we all just got basically, uh, you know, just the to- torture porn stuff like Saw, Hostel, and they kept making more and more sequels to the point that they didn't get released in theaters anymore, but instead got straight to DVD releases. Like, yeah, but yeah. Also, Blumhouse. They really have, I'd say they have a really good track record. They made some really great horror, like Get Out, Us, The New Halloween, and some pretty bad ones too, like The Truth or Dare. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Countdown. Just, um, that just reminds me of one more one. Um, uh, Spectravision, I think it's called, is the, is, um, uh, it's, run by Elijah Wood from Lord of the Rings, but it's more focused on a lot of genre films. So I think it's called a spectra vision, but like they did the recent Color Out of Space, they did Come to Daddy, they just started doing a whole bunch. And also Shudder, the streaming service, is producing a lot of originals as well and giving a platform to view more of these independent horror movies. Nice. That's good. It's really good. Wow. Yeah, and... And then there's the the other fact that before we got all the great horror from the past decade, there also were so many remakes, especially during the 2000s. Like, yes. like it's no more about, I think, what makes a great horror film or a film in general good. It's not just the, it's not about making money, but also about putting heart and passion into that project. I think um, it's more emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you stay putting heart into a horror movie, it's um, you, you sort of get a disconnect there. But if you put it where emotion, you put your fears into it, you put your anxieties, you put your uh, depression into it, your emotions into the movie that you make creates a more fulfiller experience a fuller experience so it's not just hard it's other emotions especially in horror that do it like a film that's so personal to the director that's somewhat cathartic for them when they make it is great uh your thoughts jonas yeah i agree i think the 
in Hollywood with the big studio productions, all of them just see something that works and then they'll just repeat it as many times as they can and see how much money they can take out of it. So I'm all for any uh, production company or studio that's willing to fund independent projects because half of the projects on my top 10 list are more of the independent ones besides the, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like all these, all these great horror auteurs we got in recent years, Ari Aster, uh, Jordan Peele, uh, Robert Eggers, they, they managed to make some of the best in the genre and, and they didn't need to, you know, link themselves to some big company to make their vision come true. So, yeah, I think that's actually what we need, not just in this genre, but in cinema in general, we need more independent filmmakers, more people to actually show their vision without any interference of any kind. Yeah. You're already doing that, Jonas, by the way, with your independent films. Yeah. Thank you. Can't wait to see them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and back to what you said, Matt, like, most horrors basically come from a uh, from personal experiences from the director like i believe you guys are familiar with the uh with the a nightmare on elm street films yeah well wes craven actually based this idea the idea of the film's villain freddy krueger on a man a homeless man who was wearing with no coincidentally a green, red and green striped sweater and he kept like following Craven into his apartment and he just kept watching him the whole entire night. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And also with the Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Wes Craven was also inspired by a whole bunch of mysterious deaths that occurred. As, um, I don't know exactly where they were from, but men who immigrated to America, they had trouble sleeping and they were just found dead in their beds with no explanation for them. So the idea that you could just, without warning, die in your sleep was was a direct, was as stated by him, a direct inspiration for Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. It's really Chilling stuff, indeed. Yeah. yeah. And sorry, uh, another one of his movies with an inspiration behind it was *The Hills Have Eyes*, which is about a family, like a family of savages living, like not savage, like uh, they're like wild people living in the mountains, and then a family with an RV comes up. It was inspired by a Scottish folk tale or a real events that happened in Scott, one of the two, sort of a mixture of the two, about a family that lives in, in that was inbred, uh, and then just kept on going and going, and then they were murder people. It was terrible, but that's another inspiration for from for Wes Craven. He was one who drew a lot of um, inspiration from the real world for his movies. Wow. That's really impressive. Yeah, he really is a, a master horror, by the way, right next to others like John Carpenter or Ari Aster, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another tactic as well of like, horror, I think, like take something that looks innocent and then turn it into something that audiences will fear, like a doll, it can be a doll, 
rafts, falling asleep, going to the ocean. Like, yeah, there are so many tactics for that as well. Like, Jonas, in your projects, like coming up with all your films, what what are some tactics that strategies you use in, to scare the audience, your audiences? Um, since we're on like a pretty low budget and all, we haven't put. We're trying to put some emphasis into costume design to make it look kind of scary and eerie, but that's been kind of a challenge for us recently because of the budget. So recently we've been trying to just make it like kind of an uncomfortable feeling during like we'll have really long scenes that go on for like a long amount of time with the lead actor just uh, having like a breakdown to create like a lot of tension and anxiety and kind of like the shot goes on for too long then it's supposed to create like a tense situation for the audience Ooh, i like that <laughs> so it's more basically the horror comes more from atmosphere i'd say like the and uh imagery you'd say yeah a lot of it's like trying to put the audience in the character's mind because and like make the audience just as paranoid as the main character in the film Ooh, wow yes. yeah i can see you pull it off definitely man yeah and just could you tell us just a bit about just just the basic summary of your short of your short film yeah for sure um it's kind of like there's this woman who's who's uh stuck in her house kind of like the lockdown with coronavirus and all it's not in a direct connection to it and but it there's uh some similarities in it and basically she is kind of haunted by this um creature and by the voices in her head and a lot of it's meant to be up for interpretation by the audience so a lot of it's not directly given in the film but basically she's in her house and she's kind of confused between the voices in her head what's real what's not and the figure she keeps seeing in her dreams and in real life she can't differentiate so i feel like that's a lot where the horror comes from in that movie the horror of the unknown I'd yeah say. nice man can't wait to see the finished product sure we all can actually yeah i i'm excited from it and we'll Thank check you. it out um so but with that the idea of the horror of the unknown i came up with sort of an idea of the demon of the self in a way um where if you think of it as sort of like a um, wedge there is the unknown what we don't know so that's all the that's the fear of the unknown basically the what we do not know the spirits the unexplainable the eldritch horrors whatever it may be and there's a known universe and there's a self but then under the self there's deeper in that which is like the unconscious i know carl Jung did a lot of writings on this so i'm not gonna go into that but um the the idea uh, how the your own unconscious the own your, your your own self is sort of a foil to the idea of the fear of the unknown you know yourself too much and to a point it can be terrifying 
or something in you that you don't know might be even frightening, which then, yeah, I don't know. This, wow. Yeah, I can draw a diagram, but it's not going to translate to a podcast. <laughs> but yeah, just the idea, the idea of the unconscious fear or the idea of a shadow, which is another Jungian term that's everything that you don't like about yourself, all of the negative aspects of you is the shadow, but only when you... And having that sort of torment you, it can be terrifying. More terrifying than not knowing what it is at all. That's a very interesting... Yeah, I'm working on it. Um, oh, so maybe you guys could also collab, collab one day on your films. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. you want to really love to have Matt for, for one, one day for your crew. Like he really comes up with such great ideas for horror stories. Basically, like he he reads a lot of a lot of books. He's basically yeah. a scholar, basically. Yeah, that I love the diagram you were talking about. If you could send me that, that would be great. Yeah. Because it was just an idea of, um, like, uh, when I first uh, started thinking about it, it was in, uh, I was talking to Nick um, about Get Out, and that mm -hmm. one scene where he's, like, falling back into his own head, and then um, with that, um, uh, and then just losing yourself in yourself, basically not knowing who you are, not being who you are. And then with that, I looked more into dreams, and that brought me to the works of Carl Jung, where I uh, worked on a... I read a teach-yourself book, which was really insightful for it. It helps get general ideas on it. But it also brought the idea of dreams. Dreams are one thing that are very interesting, because to this day, we have no idea what causes them, no idea what they're for. But he brings the idea of... Um, dreams are uh, messages from the unconscious mind telling you what to do, basically. He believes that the ultimate goal for one is to uh, become, to embrace the self, which is a combination of your um, ego, which is your personality, and then your um, unconscious, and then that's your self. And then living as yourself is the ultimate goal. But in doing so, confronting the unconscious is terrifying. Confronting what you don't want, what you've buried deep down, is very is frightening. And a good example of Jung's uh, um, theory uh, expressed onto horror is Silent Hill 2. That's a ma masterful game that you play as James and you explore the town of Silent Hill. In doing so, you explore your unconscious. You don't really want to dig up. And, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's really... That's really some deep stuff, man, really. Like, yeah. yeah, like, fear... The fear of the unknown is actually one of the basic cores I think of horror because what makes people afraid is what they don't understand what's outside of the ordinary something surreal I'd say like 
And about that fear of the unknown, like the first thing that comes to my mind would be the the film Alien. Like to those, I know I kept saying this on our episode, solo episode, but like the, the Alien, the titular Alien, it doesn't. It has only four minutes of screen time in what's supposed to be two hours, and in just four minutes, it managed to be the most terrifying movie monster of all time. Like we we barely see it. It's mostly hiding in the darkness. Even when we don't see it, it doesn't make it all the more better. It makes it more terrifying. I know with the idea of the fear of the unknown, it brings up the H.P. Lovecraft quote of the man's strongest um, known emotion is fear, and the strongest fear is fear of the unknown. Because that brings something like that i'm paraphrasing um but that brings the idea of back in early human life when it was hunting and gathering the most terrifying thing is what you don't know what lurks in the dark the idea and that has sort of been brought with us as we continue to society but as we start uh, learning more about the world we live in, we know what causes storms. We know what um, causes um, earthquakes. We know what lurks in the dark, basically. So we started. We started creating this more external, uncomprehensible idea of horror, basically of terror, because. The idea of a lot of metaphysical elements, like gods and um, external forces and spirits have sort of, or even like uh, folk stories, have sort of lost their luster because we we don't need them anymore. We know what's in the dark. We know what's in the forest. But it's, um, so yeah, it's sort of the evolution of has been sort of skewed from the unknown to the the known, which is the idea that it could just be some madman out there. It could just be like Michael Myers lurking in your um, go breaking into your house. But that's something you know. You know there's a killer in your house. But yeah, but just the idea of more the unknown is sort of becoming unveiled as technology evolves. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that we really need to give some thought for as well. Yeah, and um, I'd like to go um, a bit back on your film, Jonas. Like, from what you told us of the, the plot, I think it has really strong, you know, vibes to St- The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. Like, we're not sure if it's all real or supernatural or if the main character is really going insane or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely, definitely. Basically, throughout the whole thing, she's uh, kind of like, I don't know how to describe. Like, she will watch the news and our old way of doing it i changed a lot of things in the script because we've been having a lot of delays in what we've been doing we were trying to film a scene for the that will be on the tv in the house on the news and make recreate like a newsroom which didn't go very well because in my opinion it didn't look very 
it kind of looked it was clear it wasn't a real newsroom so our new idea is just having the camera behind the tv and doing voiceover for the news so you can't tell if she's the way she's interpreting the news and then later on reveal that she was just watching static the whole time mm-hmm. so it kind of like makes the viewer question like oh was he actually watching the news and was the what the news was saying correct because basically the news is telling her to not leave her house stay inside don't go anywhere and we were having we were going to have the camera just show static on the tv so going back to the first scenes the audience won't know whether she was actually watching the news or whether she was just it was in her head just can't wait for this and was would you say stanley kubrick's the shining the director and or the film were big influences for your short film honestly i wasn't thinking about the shining when i was thinking about this film i'd say one that i'm trying to think of one that would be a direct inspiration i can't really think of anything off the top of my head that would be a direct inspiration for this I know. Oh, actually, have you seen Requiem for a Dream? The mother in that movie kind of is inspired by or inspired the main character in my film, if you've seen that. I have heard of the film. Could you give us a summary of it? It's like it's a super dark and disturbing film. It's about kind of like substance abuse between three separate people. Basically, the mother's story is she gets addicted to diet pills and kind of starts kind of losing her mind a little bit because she starts like double dosing and double dosing. So she kind of like can't tell the difference between reality and and uh, what's just in her head. So she there's one scene where she's just on the train and she thinks she's completely normal and it kind of shows from other people's perspectives. She's kind of like, she's like going crazy on the train. So they call the police to come deal mm-hmm. with it. That was a big inspiration for the main character in this. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Shows. with... Oh, sorry. Uh, you, you go, Nick. Well, no, I was just going to just done like saying that you really, really love the, the writing in your, in the, in the script, by the way, from what I read. Like, it really also shows that, that we are, as if we are just as helpless as the main character really well done mm. thank you oh, you were saying uh, that uh, i was saying it's um i just recently watched shutter island with leonardo dicaprio and mark ruffalo and that one sort of has from hearing the description brief description of Requiem for a dream has the sort of idea that the the of the um, unreliable narrator because you see it from <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio's perspective through the film, and I'm not going to spoil it here, but... I'll know the ending. I'm, I, yeah, yeah. Now you pointed out, I definitely see similarities in it between the yeah. end of that and kind of similar to my movie. And that's another one sort of with the idea of burying trauma, and only when you have to face it do you... Uh, can you move on. So... Another Leonardo DiCaprio movie that I'm thinking about right now is uh, Inception with burying trauma, with literally going down the elevator to past memories and events that are literally buried down in his subconscious. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, these are yeah, really great good parallels to both films on what what's real and also what's artificial as well. Yeah, I think that's also that's also one of the, the main themes in your film as well, isn't it? Like basically the blurring between reality and what's art artificial as well, Jonas. Yeah, that's correct. Jones. Damn, sorry. This really, I'm really hyped to see the finished product. I really, I've read the, the scripts separate, like about three times, and I'm already sold. Oh, thank you so much. I'm a, I'm really excited for it as well. But there's been just so many uh, complications and stuff with it. It's kind of like a great learning experience, showing all the like things because we're balancing people's schedules and seeing like what works, what doesn't between our like super super low budget. So, yeah, I'm really excited for it, but I'm also a little worried at the same time it's not going to turn out how I want it. But either way, I feel like it's going to be a great learning experience. Yes, it's good to hear, man. Yeah, best of luck. Thank you so much. Um, and since we uh, recently uh, mentioned it, like this week I have rewatched the, Sh the Shining, and I just want to talk a bit about it with you guys. I'm happy. I believe you guys have seen it. Yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Nice. Like, I watched it first, like last year, but then I gave it a rewatch, and I bet I appreciated the movie even more. Just wow! Like, what are you, first off? What are your guys' thoughts? I'd like to hear from your perspectives. You first, Jonas. Well, once you get to my list, I'll, it's de it's definitely a choice on my list for my top ten, so I can elaborate there as well, but. Also, I feel like it's just like a kind of a new way of doing it at the time, in my opinion. And I thought it was a really amazing movie. One of my favorites of all time, probably. Wow. Good choice, man. How about you, Matt? What are your so, thoughts on So The Shining was the first movie we did for my club, because it was right before Dr. Sleep came out, so we were sort of... I don't know, using that as advertising, but um, uh, it's one of those movies that sort of osmosed got its way into the zeitgeist of human knowledge. If uh, you know, like you know everything that's gonna happen there. You know the like children, the elevator, the um, here's Johnny. It's so, but it still it doesn't take away from any of it. It doesn't make it any less frightening if you know what's going to happen. But, like, with all the parody, like, with The Simpsons and all that, people know The Shining, even though they may not have seen The Shining. Um, but when I showed it at my club, people weren't impressed. They weren't scared like they were when it first came out. There wasn't this reaction where it was the most frightening thing anyone has ever seen, and it, it just didn't, didn't just didn't get them. But these were the people who grew up with like all the paranormal activities, all of these, and they don't think suspense or this more slower thing is horror. Their horror is the big jump scares and little loud noises and all that. But then I, with some of them, I went to go see Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining, which was written by Stephen King, got adapted and released last year. 
Um, one of the people who saw that, who wasn't really impressed, was scared when they went back to the Overlook. Was scared with like the flickering lights, with the whole thing. So that gives a nice sort of idea, a credence to either reboots or sort of sequels that doesn't diminish the value of the original one. Like, imagine it never happened, we're making our own one, but sort of updates it for a modern audience. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, I get your point. The Shining, to me, I think it's one of those horror films that people just some people just don't get really like they expect all like like you mentioned like all too much loud noises or jump scares but the shining is not that it's more suspense through us through a slow burner and really it's more about the fear of you know just being trapped in a prison where you can't escape it's really something else really something unique something that's non-conventional and i think it's that film that needs more time to more re- to you have to watch more than once to truly appreciate. Yeah. And also with I'm uh, Jonas, you can go. Oh, I was gonna say, especially with the ending, with the can I spoil it or is that I feel like everyone it's, it's been like now. forty yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> the ending with him in the photograph, like embedded into the history of the hotel, makes you want to watch it again and again mm-hmm. and again just to see how they like played that off throughout the entire film. Yeah. And I was just going to say that it was one of the first real uses of the steady cam with the tracking, tracking shots of um, Danny on his tricycle and just the evolution of the technology with that, how this simple rig that keeps a camera from steady, from moving, can increase the horror so much because if it was just a static shot of him going up and down the halls you're not going to get the same effect and my favorite thing about that is how um with the evil dead they tried to replicate the steady cam with two peoples in a two by four where they just like rigged the camera and ran through the forest with that but just just the idea how they're trying to imitate the idea of a steady cam and how yeah, it's it's done a lot for horror, the steady cam. Oh yeah, for sure. I've yeah, the steady cam is like that whole with the whole one take scene, that's um, probably my favorite camera shot move and angle ever. Like it makes the scenes scenes more focused as well. I've always wanted to learn how to master that shot, but never got a chance to do so. I want to still learn it though. Yeah, like yeah, and the the Shining also is not just a nightmare for us, but it was also a huge nightmare for the cast as well, especially Shelley Duvall, the actress who played the wife, uh, Wendy. But, yeah. Like, yeah, like like Stanley working with Stanley Kubrick. He's a great director, but he can be very diff- difficult to work with. He's an absolute perfectionist. So, like that staircase scene with the whole with the bat, it took about ninety six times to film that entire scene. Think about think about that for a second. Like, God, yeah. And Shelley Duvall's acting was. 
Stanley Kubrick was not very impressed that he literally abused her on set and even told some of the actors to give her the cold shoulder to motivate her, to give her, to give a more strong performance. Stealing really. It's awful. Yeah, like, she delivered a great performance for sure, yeah, but it's just, yeah, the behind the scenes was a nightmare, truly a production hell, for sure. Mm. And, um, yeah, and uh, what are some, you know, some horror films you guys recently watched this week, by the way, or before this episode? Um, recently I watched one, let me, I have it on my list, The Dead Don't Die, mm. like, came out really recently, I, I enjoyed that one a lot, a lot, especially with the RZA in it, and I thought it was, uh, just an amazing new horror movie, even though it doesn't really break from a lot of conventions, I thought it was still really, really good in my opinion, that was, uh, the most recent horror movie I watched. Ooh. I hear great things about it, yeah. And I take it also from that you watched it too, Matt. Yeah, yeah. What were your thoughts? It was, a, it was a good movie. It was interesting how they sort of changed the idea of zombies, where instead of they they get they're made of dust rather than gross viscera, I guess. Um, but also, the, it's 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 a meta movie. Like it may look like oh, it's just a funny zombie movie with Adam Driver and Bill Murray, but like they talk about oh, it's the environment that's causing this. It's the Earth slowing down because of I think it's polar fracking if that's the reason, and the whole it's yeah. And then the ending. If I'm not gonna spoil this one because it's only been out for like a couple years. A year or two, I think. Um, but just the idea how it's 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 more of a um, horror comedy than a, just a straight up horror. On the same vein as Evil Dead. Well, Evil Evil Dead Two, I w- or Army of Darkness. The original Evil Dead was meant to be a just straight up horror. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love that. It's not on my list, but I just love that film for how big it got, how much they achieved on such a low budget. Because it's just uh, guy, guys in the wood filming a movie. And it sort of brought into this idea of the cabin in the woods, which has become a trope t- to this day. Yes, I'll give that one a look as well. Thanks for the recommendation as well, Jonas and Matt. And another that just I recently watched and it still stuck with me is, I believe you're familiar with The Fly by David Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah. For for warning, do not watch this movie if you have a full stomach. It's God. Oh my God. It's, yeah, full of... This is David Cronenberg is a master at body horror for sure. Like the the effects, the practical effects, the makeup done in this film were really so well done. Like it's and no jump scares as well. And this is probably one of uh, Jeff Goldblum's finest performances as well. Yeah. 
really well done. What did you guys think of it, by the way? Um, I haven't, I didn't watch it that recently, but when I did, I just remember it being like uh, a little like disturbing. But other than that, I, I don't have like a strong memory of it. I, but I just remember the it being like pretty disturbing after I finished it. <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you, Nick. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, um, what what really like gets me in horror is the practical effects and just the slow transformation, transformation like with the teeth falling out and then him vomiting to eat and then at the final end when he just like carapace breaks and you see the whole creature. It's it's just great. It's, it's fantastic. Um, so yeah. Um, this show, you know, for kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really great. Yeah. So, yeah. But for the only movie I've seen uh, last in this last week was Hack-O-Lantern. Ooh. It was on Shudder's Joe Bob Briggs Halloween Hideaway special. So Joe Bob Briggs, for those who aren't familiar, he did a show in the 90s, I think. 80s 90s called monster vision where you basically watch a horror movie and he was a host sort of like elvira how they would go in between movies or in between scenes talk a little bit a little bit about it and he's uh, been doing it again back on shutter where he's been watching movies old and new action horror everything in between and just been showing them to the uh, people and it's not a good movie hack lantern it is on shutter if you want to see it but it's basically um it's an indian director uh who has no idea what halloween is and then it's like this whole hidden satanic cult and it, it's 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 a movie <laughs> It's yeah. It's 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 an, it's it's a entertaining watch. Does it break from any of the horror conventions? No, not really. It's it has the sex nudity. It has violence. Effects are all right. They're not the best. It's the script's all right. It's 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 okay movie. Uh, so it's more just a guilty pleasure, you'd say. Yeah. Point, man. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. Like, and the effects they were—you mentioned um, practical or CGI, by the way. They were practical because this was like in the seventies, I think. Ah, that's good. Yeah, like I really. By the way, I in general I don't I don't like CGI mostly in general. I think it really takes away from from this from the ex- viewing experience. I'd say that's why all these great films like The Fly, but especially one recent one I watched, The Thing, was a perfect testament to practical effect. I'd say, mm-hmm. like wow, really such a great film. Really, like we know we talked about this last week, but I still have it fresh on my mind. Like the monster effects and love the just it's a perfect movie i'd say yeah. you mentioned I know, I know a good movie that uses a combination of the two is guillermo del toro's crimson peaks mm. which is his take on gothic horror it's about um uh 
I think it's, uh, I forget, but it's basically about this uh, guy who goes to a cottage. I think it's a girl. Yeah, it's a, uh, she goes up to like uh, one of those gothic style houses and then meets this guy and then starts writing correspondence. But the thing in there is all the ghost effects which are these like red skeletons that you see throughout the movie. They designed all of the skeletons practically, but then only after added effects af- added effects to make it more transparent and ghost-like. But the creatures were actually there, and only after did they sort of tweak it to make it more spectral. Ooh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely give it a watch for sure. Like, Del Toro is... One of my favorite directors as well. Like he really impresses as well with his practical, the monster effects as well. Really, really, uh, I'm not sure for sure. Yes. And from what I'm seeing, we are now past the one hour mark. So it's time to get to the ranking. Our top 10 favorite horror movies of all time. Let's start with you, Jonas. We'd love to hear your list. For sure. At, should I just start right away? At, Number 10, I have Army of Darkness. Number 9, I have Ghostbusters, just because it's like a classic movie that I watched when I was younger and still really enjoy. Uh, Number 8, I have The Exorcist, also a classic, but I feel like that's a really good classic in my opinion. Number 7, I have Cabin in the Woods. Just because I've watched it so many times and I feel like it's very rewatchable, especially the ending sequence, and it kind of makes fun of a lot of tropes in the film. So I feel like that's what made it super strong, in my opinion. At number five, I have. Wait, did I skip? I didn't number my list, sorry. Okay, number six, sorry, I have Get Out for a recent film. That one I really enjoyed when I first saw it in the theaters. Um, number five, I have The Babadook, which Ooh. is on a really low budget, and I, yeah, we're... I'd like to, what, I, I love that film as well, like, tell us a bit about, about it, by, um, by the way, like, your thoughts on it. Um, I thought it was... Like actually, one of the movies that actually got me scared and thinking about it the next day. Most horror movies don't really get me that. Like, don't I don't think about it often at the next day or the following night. But that one was one of the ones that I like couldn't get out of my head. Also because the house in that movie is very similar to my own, so I feel like maybe that like added a lot of stuff to it. And another one that the only other one that got me like that was Creep, which is kind of a found footage style one. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I heard about it. It's made by like just two, again, two people with a camera and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though that like uh, separate from the norm, I feel like that's another one that got me thinking about it the next day. And yeah, it's a really great film as well. And the Baba Duke is, in a way, it's also the film itself. It's a metaphor for dealing with grief, I'd say. Yeah, hundred percent. At number four, I have The Sixth Sense. Mm. 
that one I just felt like it was a super good movie. I don't know if it that's horror movie, right? Six Sense. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yes, yeah. it is. And one of M. I. Shyamalan's best before his work went downhill. Yeah. yeah. Horror, horror uh, just working with it in the context of a club, it's so broad. Like it's you can basically make anything can be a horror movie if you push hard enough. True, true. <laughs> um, number three, I have The Platform, which is a very recent movie, 2019. Uh, that one. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, go first. It's called The Platform from this year. It's very like, it's kind of like a social commentary. It's a Spanish film, and it, I just found that one like, got me thinking about it after I watch it. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend watching this one. It's like just came out. Uh, I think it was might have been even 2020, but I'm pretty sure 2019 wow. on Netflix. No way! Wow, one of the few films in 2020 that actually came out. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't remember when it, it was 2019 or 2020. I can't remember. At number two, I have Psycho because yes. it's a classic that I like go back to a lot of the time. I've seen it like, I don't know, probably like six or seven times now. But I just because it like puts you into the mind of the killer rather than the people, like the victims, as most horror movies do. And especially like the scene where the car is sinking, it makes you kind of get like anxious on the killer's behalf because if the car didn't sink. Oh, yeah. And of yeah. course, and even people who haven't seen the movie are very familiar with the infamous shower scene for sure. Yeah. They even made a documentary of how they shot that entire one scene even. Really? I, what's the documentary called? I'd like to see <laughs> I don't know what my friend told me about it, but uh, I guess, but yeah, it's truly a classic for sure. Yeah, good choice, man. What's your number one? Number one pick I have is The Shining, just because mm -hmm. I've seen it so many times, and it's probably like the most rewatchable film for me, wow. in my opinion. That's an amazing list, man. Really good choices. Yeah. Thank you. And now you're next, Matthew. Well, my, my list isn't in any particular order. I just uh, picked what I uh, just picked my favorite. So uh, my first one is Alien. It's what really got me into the horror genre and just the alien and the atmosphere that it generates was really well done. And if you want to hear more about my thoughts on Alien, there's a episode of Sin City that you can watch. And then um, my number two is The Thing by John Carpenter. Um, again, just great effects, amazing atmosphere. The characters are well done. The whole movie is a well-wrapped-up package, and I just love it. It's great. And then my number three pick is The Void from 2016 by Jeremy Gillespie and Steve um, Konstansky. It's, uh, the interesting thing about this movie was it, it was crowdfunded. And um, it's honestly, this movie is basically just a showcase for practical effects. But it has 
this Lovecraftian atmosphere to it. It's about um, this police officer goes into a hospital and it's like a it's basically a cliche there's like a pregnant lady it's this whole cast of characters but then the um uh the hospital gets surrounded by this cult of these just members in like white robes with a black triangle right on the face and it's terrifying because the thing about it is you know nothing about them but you just surround it and as you go through it as you go through the like lights go off all these other eldritch abominations basically get introduced to the movie and it's 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 just a great film and it's i don't know i can't praise it enough it's the void and i don't know it's if you like effects and if you like again cosmic horror this idea i recommend the void um my number four is evil the evil within from 2017 so this movie um not not a lot of people know about it because um, it was only released on Amazon Prime, but what it it was the passion project of Andrew Getty, who was an oil heir. So he had all this money from the oil industry, and he decided to make a horror movie with it. And this is one of those movies that you can tell was so personal, so personal to the creator. Um, this movie was the death of him as well he basically worked himself to death on it because he did he wrote directed all the effects for it and it's to some it's about this guy with a mental illness who's been having these nightmares and it's been he's been tormented by this entity which is played by michael berryman which he was in The Hills Have Eyes, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's one of my favorite actors because he uh, he looks weird, but he embraces that. He makes that part of him and takes roles as sort of that. And it's it's great. Um, but like the thing is, the movie's a bit cheesy. Some of the effects don't land. The script's not the best. But you can, when you watch it, you can tell it's sort of this passion project from Andrew Getty. And it shows too, because this film, from what I see, has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I know, um, if you want to learn more about the background of it, I think there there's a YouTube channel called um, Praise of the Shadow, in Praise of the Shadow. They did an excellent breakdown of the behind behind the making of the movie and that's how i heard of it so i recommend that from what you described so far without seeing it it sounds very very similar to the one i've been working on with the haunted by an entity and mental illness and haunted in dreams yeah um so like it's it's really I i can't say there's also just amazing like some of the effects are just absolutely amazing and they're all done practically. Like I can't recommend that one enough. 
And then for my next one, number five, is at the Mouth of Madness, 1955 by John Carpenter. This is John Carpenter's take on Lovecraftian horror. It's great. It's so it starts with um, this insurance agent investigating the disappearance of Sutter Kane, a horror author, sort of like. Um, and then he goes, breaks down this mystery, how like all the books lead, make a map. And then he goes on this adventure to this town called Hobbs End. But as you go through the movie, reality starts breaking down. Like one of the earlier scenes, which I mentioned in the John Carpenter episode of the podcast was when he's having a conversation with someone else, uh, Sam Neely, the insurance investigators, having this conversation with um, someone else. This man breaks through the window with an axe and asks the question, do you read Sutter Kane? It's just so eerie. It's fantastically well done. And then um, as he continues throughout the movie, it go, goes to Hobbs End, starts discovering all these warped reality. The ending is the apocalypse. Everyone's gone. The book he was working on, which is called At the Mouth of Madness, drove everyone insane. And then you see Samuel Lee walk out of his cell to the... Um, and walk out with all these like papers everywhere, and then he goes to a theater and watches at the mouth of madness. So it's it's really well done how it's sort of warps reality with it. So yeah. Um, my number six one is Reanimator by Stuart Gordon. Which is a classic cult movie. It's um, 1985. It's an adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, Herbert West Reanimator, but rather than focusing on the dreariness, it's sort of a dark comedy in that sense. How, like, the script's really well done, the performances by Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton are fantastic, and it was one of those movies that I always wanted to see. I always wanted to see Reanimator. And then it was, and this anticipation of it really brought to it the atmosphere, brought to it to the enjoyability of it. Based on what you told us of Reanimator, since it's a horror comedy from the 80s, did it have similar vibes to, you know, uh, the Evil Dead franchise, especially the second one? I wouldn't say so. I would say it's more of a dark comedy. Like, there's more, like, little sly lines. There's, it's, it's, more, it's more horror than it is comedy in that sense, but there are some comical bits in there. So, yeah, and it... it I, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just one of my personal favorites. Another for me to give a look to as well. Yeah. And number seven is Hellraiser by Clive Barker. Um, this movie, it's, uh, this movie is very personal to me because when I was younger, one thing that terrified me was the Science Center uh, Body Works exhibit. Just this idea of just this muscle 
And I know I went to the one up in uh, Edmonton, and they have a uh, forensics exhibit. So I just remember this one night I dreamt of this skinless man running through the woods, and it just terrified me. And nothing really brought it to a head than Hellraiser, because... Um, in that scene, Frank at one point is basically the embodiment of that fear, this skinless man, and it also has a. It also introduced the idea of the Cenobites, which are these neutral entities that are demons to some, angels to others. How they're benevolent but don't sides. You want pleasure, they're going to give you pleasure. You want pain, they. The, the the whole idea of them is they reached a point where they can't distinguish pain from pleasure, so they don't know if they're hurting you or pleasing you. They because they get they've basically reached this such a divine state from like a euphoric state of pain and pleasure that they got there, and then the whole um uh. This, this whole obsession uh, that Julia has over Frank, her brother-in-law, and how she will do anything to bring him back because her husband isn't pleasing her, and she knows Frank, this sexual deviant will, sort of has... Oh, oh. It sort of has a just dis, uh, disturbing ple- pleasure sense of it. Oh. So... The one with Pinhead, the man who has needles, or at least a laser. Yeah. yeah. I see. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And my number eight one is Society by Brian Usner, which he worked with Stuart Gordon on Reanimator and then took over Bride of Reanimator and then made Society. Society is again one of these practical effects ones and in it i'm not going to spoil it because i want people to watch it see some things that you're never going to see anywhere else it's so messed up so whack it's the the effects are done by screaming mad george and they're done excellently excellently well it's really great and I don't know. There's one scene where the main character bites into a fruit and there's all these like worms crawling in it and that gets me to this day. Just the image of biting into a fruit that's full of worms. Oh my god. Yeah, I will give that one a look for sure, man. Yeah. And then my number nine one is uh, Color Out of Space by Richard Stanley. It came out last year, and again, yada yada Lovecraft adaptation. <laughs> but um, this one, it's 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 really well done. Like Richard Stanley, he's an interesting character because he was set to direct the Island of Doctor Monroe, but he left due to creative differences, and they basically went on a drink and drug bender in Australia where they were filming and then came back to the set and asked one of the costume guys, hey, can I be an extra? 
So he was an extra on the own movie he was kicked off of. So but he went to make The Color Out of Space, which stars Nicolas Cage. It's an adaptation of a uh, short story by H.P. Lovecraft. But again, it's another personal film to me because I went to see it in theaters. It's one of the last ones I saw before the virus hit. But it also relates to what I was learning in school. I'm taking it for geological technologies. And their talk about like aquifers and well contaminations are really what I'm working with now. So it's sort of, it was sort of cool to see that in a movie. So yeah. And my number ten one is Videodrome by David Cronenberg. It's uh, it's again one of the movies that I knew I had to see. It and then. I finally watched it, and it was fantastic. The effects are great. The idea of a television program that's corruptible, that, like, the idea... So the uh, synopsis of the movie, it's this television producer who basically produces, uh, like, porn and just violence. He just comes over this pro program video drone where it's videos of people being like beaten and tortured and murdered on camera and he's like, oh, we really need to get this stuff. And, he, and then he goes in learns more about it, realizes it's all real and it's actually a, an evolved program that is corruptible to society that the creator of it didn't want it to be shown because it will destroy it destroy society and there's these ideas of like delusions and reality breaking at some points it's 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 hard to describe honestly but i don't know i really liked video drone and this would you, would you consider it to be more tamer than uh the fly or is the fly more you know i would say so because it's not like um the effects in the fly were supposed to get a reaction out of it the effects in video drum are just really cool so yeah because i don't know yeah wow Wow, yeah, I'm seeing some images of it, and oh my god, this is something else. Yeah, we'll give it a look, for sure. And those were really great lists, guys, like so many that I still have yet to see, by the way. So I guess that just leaves me. This is my, my top 10, and tell me if you guys have seen it, let me know, and also share your thoughts. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it if you have seen it as well. So... For my number 10, I'll give this one to Suspiria, uh, the 1977 one. Like, it's really, I love the, like, it's beautifully shot as well. Like, the, the use of color, it's, it really puts the viewer in a, a false sense of security, like, as if they're, they're just as trapped as the, as the, characters are like to those who haven't heard of Suspiria this summary is basically this young woman who goes to attend a, a dance academy in Italy and there are which is actually turns out to be a cover for something evil and supernatural I don't want to give away too much but that's all you're gonna get yeah this is 
This was made by Dario Argento, who is from Italy, and he's really a master in creating the, these Gallio, which is Italian horror films. Mm. And I just, like, have you guys seen it, by the way? I have seen it, yeah. And there's a, also a 2019 movie that's heavily inspired by it, made by Gaspar No called Climax, A24 movie. I'd highly recommend that for you mm. if you like Suspiria. And there's also a remake in 2018, <laughs> which I hear is more of a more historical drama, but it still has those like witch elements in it. I haven't gone around to the remake of it. Um, but yeah, Climax, heavily recommend if you like Suspiria. It's about a French dance troupe that goes to a, a like kind of school, abandoned school to rehearse their performance and someone spikes their sangria with LSD and that's kind of like the horror of the movie and the whole movie's kind of just like a disaster of what happens after that. Oh God, oh my God. Yeah, we'll give it a look for sure too, yeah. And another thing I really appreciate about Suspiria is the, the music, like, which was made by Goblin and to mm -hmm. an extent, yeah, that's right. Like it really also, it's it's also serves like a warning to give the audience that something is not right. It gives them a second of cue that of what the horror that's yet to come. But yeah, like overall, I really enjoy Suspiria. It's uh, it's beautifully shot. The characters are very realistic and sympathetic as well. And the cinematography is just so breathtaking, especially for a horror film. That's why it's on my list. For my number nine, I'll get is one I share with you, Jonas. It's The Exorcist. Like, oh my God, that an easy film to watch but once you get to it you'll really you'll appreciate it for the the acting the cinematography and just story in general like i believe you've watched it matt i'm familiar with it i haven't got to around to watching it i was planning, planning on doing it for my club uh but we ran out of time before everything was locked down so yeah, but I'm familiar with it, so. It's, it's truly a, a classic in every sense of the word. Like, it's it's marked as the scariest movie of all time, and it shows, like, back audiences were really not prepared for what they were about to see back in 1973. Like, it, it was so terrifying that some people fainted, and some even immediately left the theater, and they even recommended barf bags when you watch this film. Wow, just God, it's incredible, really, from start to finish. Like, and yeah, for my number eight, which is a more modern horror, are you guys familiar with It Follows? Yeah, yeah, it's, wow, it's unique. Like, for it's really. I love the allegory on the fear of, you know, how it's the fear of getting a of STDs. Like, that's what it follows basically is. And it's that kind of film that leaves you paranoid. Like, never has watching someone walking in a straight line ever been so terrifying. Yeah, like, to those who, um, 
I know, I don't know, the film is inspired by a real life experience from the director. When he was in high school, he had a dream in which he was doing, he was doing his daily routine. And no matter where he went, there was some random girl who kept following him wherever he went. That's where he got the idea. It's, it's chilling, really. <laughs> like, and the thought that you can't escape this horror and it really more as well. And the music, the acting from very from the young actors, and the fact it has doesn't use any jump scares, but slow building dread just adds to the horror. And that's why it earns a place on my list. At my number seven, I'll give this one to the first horror film I ever watched, which is Scream. Again, love it. It's funny, it's terrifying, really good satire. And yeah, like, what are your guys' thoughts on it? Um, I personally haven't seen the original one, but actually, I feel like I may have seen it, but I honestly don't remember much from it. But I know it's like a horror comedy, which is a genre I really love. Yeah, and also served as a CPR as well, because the '90s was a huge like when the slasher genre was going on the decline but scream it really saved it revived the slasher genre for a time mm. really i think it came at a good time because everyone was tired with all the sequels after sequels after sequels and um it really it really um played off all of the cliches everyone knows about them and everyone's sick of these so why don't we just get it out of the way i know another uh good sort of meta film like that by west craven is west craven's new nightmare mm-hmm. which was um one of the last movies he made which it's basically they were planning on it's the actors from the original like Robert England and I forget the act, actress who plays Nancy but uh, she's like grown up with a kid now and the kid's like hey you were in these movies but it's sort of Freddy, Freddy Krueger sort of breaks into that reality of that film if that makes any sense oh yeah so, yes yeah familiar with it yes that Freddy Krueger is basically some real life monster in the in the real world who haunts the dreams of the actors who worked on the first film it's all very yeah yeah so it's sort of the meta idea of this mon this monster brought from movies into reality but in the reality it's a movie it's it's interesting oh yeah at my number six which is the one that based without this film none of the horror films we know today would ever happen i give this one to the texas chainsaw massacre yeah. you guys seen it yeah it was on my list but couldn't fit it on there like it's just so well done this film like and it really did well for a film on a very small budget like toby hooper the director didn't need a a big budget or hollywood he all he just needed was just a camera and a car to just head to text and a few friends and boom what a success this film was 
it feels different. It feels like it was shot like a documentary, almost like a, a snuff film, basically. It, and not to mention, it was falsely marketed on a true as a true story, which is kind of well, it, it was so with that. Um, it's it was inspired by Ed Gein, who was um, this. I don't. Was he a serial? Yeah, I guess he was a serial killer. Um, who lived in Wisconsin, who basically would rob graves for body parts and creates all this furniture and, like, this entire skin suit, which is terrifying. And when he finally, when they finally caught him, they discovered all this, like, lamps, uh, skin... If you look into it, there's some really t- disturbing stuff in there. There's, like, a nipple belt for whatever reason. It's... Oh, God. Um, like his whole house was just furnished with body parts and he did eat them. So he's, he also has that, but it's, yeah. So that, that's how it sort of, they, they, they did that, how it's based on a true story. That, that cycle was also sort of based, um, with that, with the, his relationship with his mother. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. And, love, and Texas Chainsaw, what makes it unique is that despite the title, Chiming Chainsaw, it uses very minimal, there's minimal gore. So it focuses more on suspense, basically, to really set the audience on edge. And it, of course, brought us to, introduce us to one of horror's greatest icons, Leatherface, who, yeah, I feel is very unique in every aspect of the word. Yeah. Really, so really well done film, and so good that it it brought it inspired so many slasher films that we know and love today. At my number five, I give this one to the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, so good, I like, <clears throat> really. Of course, it introduced us to Freddy Krueger, who. I think was at his most scariest his and really blurred the line between dreams and reality. And just I what I love is the story, like the originality, just the thought that like we all need to sleep and just the thought someone can harm us, kill us in our dreams just brought it. Just brought the concept to a whole new level. What are you guys' thoughts on it if you have seen it? Um when I watched it the first time, I thought it was like very, very well done. Is the first, the original one, that's the scene with the hand coming out of the bathtub, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that... also the one with the wall and the like latex wall that he just pushes on above oh. the bed with the crucifix. Yeah. I felt like that's where the movie had its best moments, was just in the creative. Um, ways that he attacked his victims. Exactly. Yeah, and a thing that made this film so effective is that, like, unlike later sequels where Freddy would become, you know, more comedic and like a goofball, this one is Freddy at his most menacing. Like, yes, he he did he did make jokes, but it's more he was more you know meaner and vicious about it than you know way less silly than in the sequels. I really love that aspect of the character. Like, well, even if the sequels were meh or just bad, nothing can take away from the original that is Wes Craven's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. 
At my number four, I give this one to The Witch by Robert Eggers, which was A24. Yeah. Have you guys seen it? I have not yet, because with it being A24, it's quite a commitment for the... Yeah, but um, I'm familiar with it. So it's based, to those who haven't heard, it's basically about a, it takes place during the Puritan age where a God-fearing family m moves to to a new a cabin in the woods where they are being stalked by supernatural evil forces that may or may not be connected to the devil himself. Right. This is a very unique type of horror film. Like no, there are no jump scares, no over-the-top gore. It's mostly on ambience and building suspense, and really makes you feel just as helpless as the family living there. So well done as well. Like, yeah. um, with that, it also works more off the idea of folklore as inspiration. Exactly. Like with the witch in the woods and yeah just more of like the brothers grim sort of style that's right yes like almost like a dark fairy tale for sure yeah yeah but i just love it because how it subverts all of the cliches and horror conventions and try to give us something new and robert eggers really did well for hit and this is his first feature film and he did really well so kudos for that at number three, which is the same as your, which I share with you, Matt, is Alien by Ridley mm -hmm. Scott. Like, yeah, like really love the, the fear of the unknown, how we barely see the alien and the ambient sound design. It really, it really gets to you, really feels like you're in the setting, as if you feel trapped just as well as the crew in the, the, in the Stromo, right? That would be yeah. old. Yeah, so well done. And that, that Jeff Burster scene was what really stu stuck, stuck with me for many years. Like the fact that it, the practical effects were well done and the fact that, you know, the that the acting from the actor's part, it was genuine since Ridley Scott didn't tell them ahead of time what was going to happen. Yeah. So it's really well done. Probably my favorite in all the, in all the sci-fi, in horror sci-fi genre as well. In my number two, we'd have to go to Hereditary like by Ari Aster. Like that, that's probably, I'm, I know you're saying it should be my number one, but this one is probably the scariest film I ever watched. Like, it's unique. It's no jump scares, none of the cliches. It's more about building tension. Like, it's not, it's a very disturbing film to watch. And it's, it really gets on you. It's like, it's not, it's a family drama. It feels as if you're with them. And, uh, what are your thoughts on it, guys? Have you guys seen it? Yeah, I have. It's really well done. Again, I showed it as one of my movies at my clubs, and some people didn't get it. That's one of the movies you really got to rewatch or pay attention to or even look up something <laughs> that explains it if you need to. But um, 
it's really well done like with the use of just tension how it's characters in the background of scenes that you don't notice until you take a quick look and then they're gone the next one and the idea of this spirituality as a threat this idea that this cult of people who are using this family destroying this family for their end goals is terrifying and also it feels like it it borrows influences from other old school horror films like uh, Rosemary's Baby, I'd say. Mm. So, um, like, it's it's also not just terrifying but heartbreaking as well. Like it's just two hours of watching a family being slowly destroyed. Like that's that's actually what this film is. It's a family drama that then escalates into something just as terrifying. And I won't get into spoilers, but if you haven't seen it, this is really good to watch during the Halloween season for sure. And at my number one, I give this one to none other than Halloween by John Carpenter. So well, like, it's basically a perfect movie, like, back to a time when horror films were more simplistic and didn't rely on gore or gratuitous nudity, well, mostly, but it really made the audience feel just as trapped in a suburban location, love the music too which is classic. Even those who haven't seen Halloween or are familiar with it can already recognize the main theme. It is that iconic. But what really sold me for this Halloween is the, basically the film's villain, Michael Myers, the, the shape. Like, in my opinion, this is one of the horror, not just in horror, but one of the fiction's greatest villains. Everything about him is just terrifying and awesome at the exact same time. But yeah, Halloween really, I watched it first when I was 12 years old, and this is the one that really, and for many years, it's been my favorite, it still is. And that's why, and it's the reason why I love horror in every sense of the word. And that is my list. Very good choices, Nick. Oh, look, we've reached the one hour 45 mark. That's, that's our longest episode ever. It is especially. Thank you. So I guess that's, that's pretty much it. Like really, really good choices, guys. I'm gonna watch some of these movies during the during the week for Halloween. Thank you. Thank you for showing up here for a Halloween special. Thank you. Thank okay. you for having me. And this has been Sin City, live in CMRU.ca with one of your hosts, Nick Manessis. Joining us today, the incredible Jonas Williams and Matthew Zahariah. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you.